This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you are here today. Today's episode is sponsored by Lily Trotters, the best compression socks out there. Strong enough for a marathon, comfortable enough to wear for hours, pretty enough to wear almost anywhere, and thin enough to fit into all your favorite shoes. This is the longest running sponsor of this podcast, and I am all about everything Lily Trotters is doing. So if you need some compression socks, if you're looking for a gift to give your running friends in your life, look no further. Go to lilytrotters.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 25% off your order. All right. Today, you are listening to episode 328, and I'm talking with Sally McRae. This is the third time Sally has been on the podcast. She was a guest in episode 145, and then she came on again, episode 242 with Courtney DeWalter and Maggie Gutrell, where we did one of those fun Friday episodes, a lot of laughs in that episode. So if you're looking for something lighthearted and fun, go back and listen to episode 242. And Sally also came to Indianapolis and we did a live show with Dina Castor. There is access to that if you are a Patreon supporter. I only released that conversation, which is an amazing conversation. Sally always fills me up with hope and inspiration and laughter and encouragement. Um, So you can get access to that actually if you support on Patreon, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. So my fourth interview with Sally, we're talking about Badwater because she just became the Badwater 135 champion for 2021. 10 years in the making, Sally has had dreams of winning this race and We talk about the race itself, her training. We also talk about her family's recent move. And of course, I can't walk away from a conversation with Sally McRae without a little bit of like life advice and mom advice and things like that. So we filled this conversation with a whole lot in one hour. And I'm so excited to share this with you. If you aren't already following Sally, you crazy. I don't know why you aren't, but if you aren't go to yellow runner on instagram and find her sally has a gift with words and a gift with encouraging other people and i know you're going to walk away from this conversation feeling that all right friends if you are enjoying this podcast please leave us a quick rating interview it takes two minutes and it is such a great way for potential new listeners to find us and if you're looking for more episodes for me we always have those over on patreon patreon.com slash lindsey hine i've taken a little bit of a summer break but we're going to be back full steam once my kids get back in school starting september but there's a huge backload of episodes over there and i also host a parenting podcast called why is everyone yelling and you can find all sorts of conversations around parenting over there recently just recorded a great episode about raising boys. So if you have little boys under your roof that you are raising, um, definitely go check out that episode. Again, it's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Sally. Okay, first and foremost, hello and welcome to North Carolina, one of my favorite places ever. Oh my so gosh. Cool. 
Thank you. Congratulations. Well, you're officially my first interview from North Carolina. Oh, yay. It's so good to hear your voice again. It's been a while since we've been able to connect and I've been following all your journeys and of course your precious little boys. So um, I'm, I've so been looking forward to this. Oh my goodness. Friends, today we're talking to Sally McRae. I think this is your third time on the show. Welcome back, Sally. Thank you, Lindsay. So, so happy to be here. I am stoked. If anybody <laughs> listening doesn't know that Sally just won Badwater, I don't know where you've been living. Congratulations. Thank you so much. How are you feeling? You got home yesterday? So, well, I got home from the desert yesterday, but that was a, a family getaway. So um, we, as funny as it is, all that time I spent out in the desert training, we had planned uh, to go to Palm Desert as, as a family um, for our vacation. It was like just a little four-day getaway, and I just like giggled about it. I'm like, of course, we're going back to the merciless heat. So, <laughs> But it was good. It was just such a... A, a nice uh, way to kind of put a cap on everything and just have that downtime and, and focus with, with the family. So yeah, we just got back yesterday and already back into the swing of things with kids sports and training and, and all of that. So <laughs> um, I think that, you know, first of all, your crew, who was doing the stories mm. on Badwater because they did mm. such a good job because they like didn't overdo it, but they didn't underdo it. You know, it's just the right amount. Yes. Yeah, that was my husband, Eddie. Eddie. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, it, it's really funny. Like, it, um, you know, over the last like seven years or so, I've always we've kind of always he's he's a teacher, and we've always kind of gone back and forth. Like, I've I've wanted him for so long to take over my business, mm. and just to I've wanted to do more stuff with him because we've had a lot of jobs together um, over the years, and so we work really well together, and. Um, Anyway, our move up to Ben, he, he got a new job and then he was able to kind of take over my business and, and has a, a little bit more free time to be with me. And I was like, do you want a crew? Like, will you be on the crew? And he's never done that before. And then we just kind of talked about, you know, it'd be really awesome because a lot of people don't, Badwater is such a mysterious race mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. There's a lot of misconceptions about the race. And then anything that you find out you know, like on YouTube and stuff, it's either like super old or it's short or like it's only parts of it. And I was like, man, I'd really love for people to get a glimpse into the race, like in real time, if possible. I mean, there's big dead zones in the race, but, mm -hmm. um, but he started doing little media, like in my training and he was my biggest support in, in so much of my training, like crewing for me and like some pretty, like dangerous areas of the desert that you don't really want to go and train out by yourself. And so, um, he was just a natural, like he picked it up and he watched how other people kind of covered stuff. He's like, yeah, I kind of see like how I run far does it. And I look how these guys do it. And, um, but yeah, he did, he did a really good job. And, uh, you know, I keep encouraging him and like, maybe he's, he's found a new calling. <laughs> so he's not teaching anymore. He's not. Yeah. He, uh, this last, um, this last school year was his, his last season. So he actually is going to be just coming alongside me and taking over, um, a lot of like logistical stuff, like contracts and managing my schedule. Um, you know, a lot of the communications and organization accounting, like so much stuff that I'm absolutely terrible at. So <laughs> I'm so grateful for him. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a new season for us. Okay. First of all, why did you guys move to bend? 
We're we're actually back in SoCal now. Oh, you are? Yeah. What? What? (laughs) I know. Tell me what happened. To a lot of people. Um, So yeah, it was a really quick move. You know, it was like right in the middle of the pandemic when we when we moved up there. We were so um, every single day at home, like everybody. Yep. And when Eddie and I were first married, I um, had walked in the living room one day and and looked over his shoulder at what he was looking at online. And he's looking at all these like properties in Bend. And I was like, what? Like, really? You want to move to Bend? And he's like, yeah, it's so beautiful. He loves trees and rivers and waterfalls and things like that. And so um, the funny thing was he'd never been there before. And when I got signed with Nike, I went up there several times for photo shoots and meeting up with my team. Um, it's only a, you know, it's like three hours from Portland. And so I fell in love with it then. And, you know, I'd come home and tell Eddie about it. Like, it's absolutely amazing. It's incredible. So it was always kind of a place that we had dreamed of. I always wanted to be in the mountains. Um, that's really where my, where my heart is. And we're, we're in Huntington Beach. That's where I've grown up and where we've raised our kids, just like a mile from the ocean. And so it was a really big um, jump for us. But during the pandemic, we thought, you know, why don't we, uh, you know, maybe we can go up there and, you know, visit friends and kind of just like, just see what Ben's like. But really the idea was like, we wanted to get up there and just be outside. Like we wanted to be in the mountains and go hiking and get in the rivers. And, um, so we went up there and we, we fell in love with it. And then I just kind of nudged him like, why don't we just move up here? And it's pretty much just kind of how we are. Like, Mm. I'm always like, let's just take a leap of faith. Like I'm, I love the idea of just adventuring with our kids and doing something new, doing something hard. And you know, what do we have to lose? And we'd done that before early in our marriage. We moved to the East coast for a few years. We lived in Washington, DC. Um, I worked with in, in like with orphans and foster care, um, nonprofit organizations. And then he taught and was a youth pastor out there. And it was amazing. I had my daughter out there. So this idea wasn't like something totally new to us, but we're like, okay, let's just do it. Like we're home every day. Like all your races have stopped. Like we have this new season where we can kind of just like dream. And, um, so we found this really cute, very tiny little fixer upper, um, and it would, you know, we'd never owned anything in our, in our life. And, um, we've been married for almost 20 years and we've always tried to save as, uh, you know, what we could. And, um, and so this was really a dream come true for us just to be able to, to buy something. And, um, so we went up there and it was a huge leap of faith. Eddie didn't have a job. And the day that we got our keys, the next day he got a teaching job and it was awesome. We we renovated the whole thing by ourselves. I can't believe um, that. I watched that. I'm like, what? <laughs> we had, I mean, it was, it's expensive hiring people. Yes. And so we yes, were just like, dude, like the cost of labor is more than the materials. And so we, we didn't know that we didn't know that, but um, I had had a little bit of experience actually in, in, in doing work on houses when I was a little girl um, and up into my teens, I actually would go to work with my dad and I learned how to paint and lay tile and put ceiling fans together. And, um, I watched him how he took out, you know, everything from sinks to toilets and all that. I re- I just remembered a lot of it. And then we got on YouTube and Pinterest and we would watch tutorials like over and over and over again. And then we're like, okay, you ready? Okay, let's do it. And like, we could just go for it. And then he started doing crazy things. He built a fireplace and built in shelves and cupboards. And, um, we really, just became each other's work partners. And, 
um, made this little house into a home and, you know, we got our kids involved, which I really love. I mean, I grew up using my hands and, and always working. And so it was neat to have the kids just tear up their own carpet and paint their own walls and then have to go and make new friends. And, and they became snowboarders and they learned how to ice skate and they swam and they just, we just, it was just a whole new season of um, trying new things and doing really hard things. I mean, they definitely missed home here in Huntington Beach and um, being away from people. And of course, like everyone else across the whole world, there was a lot of um, hard things with COVID and, and restrictions and things like that. But we definitely uh, grew a lot when we were there. We did everything that, that we, we hoped and, and so much more came out of it. And, um, and so now we're, we're back here in, in Southern California, um, closer to family and, and, uh, you know, with Eddie's transition with his career, this was just a better spot for us to be, but we're keeping our house up there. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah. My daughter wants to go to school up there. So I always have in the back of my mind, like maybe we'll get to live there again. Cause I, I definitely miss it. Um, it was hard coming back, but yeah, we did all that within 10 months. So we left California, wow. went to Ben, renovated a house, lived life, and then did the giant across the state move again. Um, yeah. All while trading for bad water. <laughs> a, little, a little crazy. Just a little something on your plate there. Um, yeah. You know what I love about that though? I, I love that you just went for it, but then when you realize mm-hmm. like it's, it's time to go back that mm-hmm. like, I don't know what your emotions were, but like, <laughs> it sounds like you're at peace with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely cried a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have loved to, to stay, but, um, I think when, you know, initially when we left, I thought this was it, like, this mm. is where I'm going to grow old. Mm. Um, but I think with, with anything, like when we moved to Washington DC, I felt that way too. And we had my daughter out there, but I feel like I, you know, our lives, you know, Eddie and I, it's just has always been like a big faith walk. And I just feel like if we just step out in faith and we just go and everything was so like perfectly laid, like everything came together so beautifully. When we, we moved to Ben, we were so sure that this is exactly what we were supposed to be doing. And our time there was just incredible. But then the timing for us to come back and just everything, you know, we, we got a house back in our exact same neighborhood in a neighborhood that there's never, ever, 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 ever houses here. Um, and and that was just like huge for us. You know, it was hard coming back and renting because, you know, owning our little place mm-hmm. up there was amazing. But, um, but yeah, I, I think we, Eddie and I, we, we've gone through so much in our lives. Um, a lot of, a lot of hardship and loss and just also having traveled the world a lot together. We've done a lot of humanitarian stuff together and we've just learned so much that home really is like your family and there's things that we do in life sometimes that actually are purely for for teaching us lessons and building up our characters and helping us see who we are and how we can be better and how we can encourage each other. And I think that that was the opportunity that we gave to our children. Um, my hope is that when, as they get older, that they'll always remember that and not be afraid to do something new, not be afraid to go, not be afraid to try, not be afraid to meet new people, to try new things and do hard things. Um, I really see that time as just an incredible gift and I'd do it over a million times. Um, just seeing what has the, all the good that has come out of it. You know, one of my favorite parts of that finish line that Eddie took was when your kids gave you a hug. 
Oh, Mackenzie, yeah. I think she said, I'm so proud of you, mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so, so good. How old are they now? So now they, in March, they turned 13 and 15. They're both March babies. Um, Isaiah's going into eighth grade and Mackenzie's going into 10th grade, um, which Ooh. is just amazing. I know it goes so fast. We, we got married young, had our kids young. And I just tell Eddie, I'm like, you can't believe we're like a handful of years away from being empty nesters. Can like, you believe it? That's not the way it's supposed to be. I have, fr- I have a couple of friends that just had babies. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about that. I know we're going to talk about bad runner friends. Don't worry. But I always have like, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. well, you're a few big steps ahead of me in the kid department, but you're just a few (laughs) steps ahead of me in the age department. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned like you thought you were going to grow old and bend and Mm -hmm. and whatever. (laughs) I like, I know that at 37, almost 38 that I'm like, this is like such an amazing time of life. But I, Sally, Mm. I like so struggle with like the time passing too fast and I'm mm. trying really hard to be present right now. Yeah. I'm curious, mm. like, how do you deal with that emotionally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, th- there's a couple ways that, that I have always just a, not, not only approach like age, but just like the passing of time. Mm-hmm. And I, I really believe a p- part of that was influenced losing my mom so young. Mm-hmm. So she was only 38 when she, when she died. I'm sorry, when she was diagnosed with cancer, but she was 43 when she died. And I think that, um, you know, even the, in the years before that I lost, a, I lost several other people. I felt like I spent a lot of years like going to hospitals and just watching people pass away as, as a young girl. And the impact that that had on me was just realizing like how, um, not only precious life is, but just how, how quick it is too. And I would say that, you know, when I turned 38, that was a really, really big year for me because, you know, when I, when I was 38, I was like placing top 10 in in Western States. Like I, like I was, I'm in the middle of my professional career, this dream that I had had for so long, like being a pro athlete, I was traveling the world and, um, super healthy. And I think that, you know, the, the older I've gotten, that is the way that I just look at life. It is such a gift to be alive and our bodies, you know, the way that we treat ourselves and the way that we, um, just approach, approach health overall, that says way more about how we're able to live out our lives than the number, um, you know, on your birth certificate and, you know, I, so I, I, I think that, um, even when I post things on Instagram, when it comes to like strength and fitness, I'm so big on strength. And the reason why is because even if you're 99 years old, your body still has the ability to build muscle. Like, and I just think that's the most amazing gift that we are given as human beings is that so often you hear people say like, Oh my, you know, well, my knees are getting old and my back is hurting and I'm just so much more tired but I'm like, yeah, but you know, you still have the ability to build muscle. Like you can go into the gym and add muscle to your body. Like, mm. and the cool thing about muscle is that like you're strong, it builds you up. It allows you to move through this world, like so much more freely and, and powerfully. And the way that you can extend your arm to others and, and help and be there for them, um, because your body is strong is so powerful. And just that metaphor in life. And so the older I've gotten, the more that I kind of focus on that strength. But then I also realize, like, wow, like the better I treat my body, the the better that I feel about, you know, the passing of time. Mm-hmm. But 
in, in a sentimental way, as I look at my children, as I, I look at them becoming adults, I think that part, I, I, I definitely have moments throughout the year where I'll just cry. Cause mm. I just realize, you know, it does go so fast mm-hmm. and it's like, it's so precious. And you know, as a mom, Lindsay, it's like, there's so many things that you hold in your heart that no one else will ever see or understand. Like you as their mommy, like all the tiny little things, whether it's when you go into their room at night and you just, you're watching them sleep, you know, or just like when they come and give you a hug and they got jelly all over their face. And it's just like, there's something about all these tiny little moments that you're just so precious that you'll always hold on to for the rest of your life. And I think there's such a gift in that, but then also realizing how fleeting it is. And it makes you hold on to these days a little bit tighter. You know, it makes you appreciate them more and savor them more. And um, I'm definitely in that season right now. Like my kids are so social and they're so active in their sports that, you know, being a, you know, I really like make a big deal about, you know, dinners at home and Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. making those moments together whenever we can. But yeah, I think the ache of life, I mean, this is this is what we all feel, you know, this yeah. is just, it's the beauty in, in the ache. Oh, Sally, you are like the best gift <laughs> ever. You really are. So are you, Lindsay. Oh. I, do, I love our conversations. I'm telling you, I have a trail camp in North Carolina. Oh. And dang it. I, I, it's like an hour from where you are. We have to figure out a yes. way to see each other. Okay. I might have to just fly in a day or two early. Yes. I'm not kidding. Please do. And come <laughs> stay with me. And yes. I, I, I don't think that my kids will drive you crazy, but you'll not, you are you embrace kidding me? the loudness. I five in my home. Are you, <laughs> I love loud. I always thought I'd have, well, I always wanted a big family. My two were a gift. Uh, a precious gift. They're both emergency C-sections and I, I, I'm not able to have more kids, but like okay. it is, I always thought that I'd have a huge family because I grew up with five kids and the loudness is like comfort to me. Oh, Isn't that so funny? I love like, that. We have a couple friends that have lots of kids or their, their family's loud. They're always like, sorry. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like home. Like, I love it. So bring on the boys, bring on the loudness, the mess, all of it. Uh, it's so good. Oh, that's so good. You know, I love hearing that too, because um, I was just talking to one of our new neighbors about this. I feel like at our old, in our old neighborhood, I was mm. not self-conscious about our loudness and how aggressive we are <laughs> because we grew into it. Like yes. we showed up in that neighborhood with one two-year-old and then we came to this neighborhood with all of them and they're fighting and loud and crazy. And it's like we came in like raging animals. <laughs> You like know, Tasmanian devils, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, we are here. We are here. We are loud. We are aggressive. Yes, we want to be your friend. And I always I feel like it. we're too much for people sometimes. But hearing you no. say that makes me feel better. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. I, I, I love that idea of just living out loud and not suppressing that. And you're such a great mom you need to give yourself some credit too. I mean, it's, it's one thing when, you know, when we're ignoring our kids and they're off, like, you know, chopping down the neighbor's tree. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love, I I love it. I love that, um, that you guys live real and you let your kids just be kids. That's a good thing. Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Athletic Brewing Company for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you are looking for a delicious non-alcoholic beverage, they have IPAs, they have seltzers, 
I recently purchased their seltzers and they're so good. It's like fizzy and delicious and refreshing. Athletic Brewing believes that you shouldn't have to sacrifice your ability to be healthy, active, and at your best to enjoy a great beer. So they created their innovative lineup of refreshing non-alcoholic craft beers. I'm seeing them around more and more. So you guys should check them out. They're delicious, high quality, all natural ingredients. Go to athleticbrewing.com. Use the code anotherathletic15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Make sure you order at least two six packs because that'll get you free shipping as well. Athleticbrewing.com, another athletic15 for 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Um, okay, I, I want to ask over to Badwater, you mentioned when you were talking about. Yeah. Um, Eddie doing the videoing and you said there's lots of misconceptions mm-hmm. about bad water. What mm-hmm. are the misconceptions? What do you want people to know about it? Yeah, I think that, well, the questions that come in too, it's, it's really funny. It's, it's everything from people not understanding why a crew car falls, mm. follows you. Um, you know, like, why aren't there like aid stations and what's up with like the three waves? Like, how does that work? And, and then people thinking that it's a multi-day, um, race and even just the entry into it, how, you know, how is it that people get in there? I think, um, the race has been around for so long. There's like a lot of history in it and, um, you can go on the side of course and read a lot about it, but I know in my personal, I've been following it for over a decade. I I remember, um, even when I first started learning about ultras, this race was always so intriguing to me. And when I started doing research, I was just like, even with all the videos that are out there, like there's some pretty old school ones that are out there. It was just a really, it was kind of confusing to really, um, be able to understand the, the challenge of this race. I think that one of the toughest things about it is being able to connect with that heat because most people will never feel that Mm. heat in their life unless they go out there. I mean, it's, it's the, you know, the hottest temperatures have been recorded there on the planet. Um, now granted, I think that there's probably hotter places like in the Sahara and other places, even places where nobody lives <laughs> in deserts and other places around the world that probably have hit hotter temperatures. But, um, you know, a lot of times when we think of heat, we think of the heat that we've been in. So if you live in a place that gets up to 90 or a hundred, then you think of hot and that's what you have to go by. Um, or being in a hot, a hot environment, maybe just for like a couple hours. And so, um, trying to explain the intensity of this race is actually very difficult. You know, when I talk about UTMB, which I've done five times and I say that, you know, there's 34,000 feet of climbing in that, like mountain runners, trail runners, um, endurance athletes can kind of connect with that. They're like, Holy crap. Like, okay. Like, okay. I've done a race. It's like 10,000 feet of climbing or 20. Okay. Wow. Like I, you can immediately like really understand the intensity of that amount of climbing, but he is silent. It's invisible. Um, it's, it's just like this oppressive thing that I think sometimes just makes this race hard to, um, to communicate. So that was one of the reasons too, why 
I think having Eddie out there, that coverage, we also had Sarah Tar out there. She's incredible um, photographer. She's the one that, you know, I've been posting every day my, my race journal on my Instagram account and all the photos um, are ones that she took. She took like 1500 oh, wow. photos um, during the race and also ran and, and crewed and everything. It was, it was amazing. So, and my goal for her too, I was like, I want you to capture the beauty and the intensity of the desert but most importantly, I, you know, I really wanted her to capture the crew. So most of the pictures are, are crew pictures. Cause you really can't do this race, uh, without, you know, without having your, your team with you. So yeah, that, that's kind of it. And then there's lots of really funny questions that I get all the time. Like, you know, did your shoes <laughs> melt and, you know, are, do your feet look like hamburger and, you know, all, all stuff like that, which is, which is really fun. So, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So it's 2018. If, am I correct? That's the only other time you did it, right? Yeah. I crewed it in 2014 for my buddy, Josh. So I, I did get an introduction to the race there. That was my first time being out there. Okay. So when you, you ran in 2018, you were seventh female, mm -hmm. 23rd mm -hmm. overall. Yeah. Talk to us about like having that dream. I'm sure when you ran in 2018, you also wanted to win then too. So talk about having that <laughs> yeah. dream and working on it for so yeah. long and it finally coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. 2018, I, I don't think I had ever trained so hard for a race in my mm -hmm. life. So I was very confident on that side of it. I was confident in, um, you know, having grown up in Southern California, we have like all the climates here, you know, I can go snowboarding and 45 minutes later go surfing. Um, it's, I can get to a, an 11,000 foot mountain within an hour and a half of where I'm, I'm here at the beach. And, and then I can get three hours away to the hottest place on the planet. So, um, I really felt like my training and just the territory in which I lived, I felt like I had, um, a really good training ground. I could get big climbing if I needed to, because there is some pretty brutal climbs in this race that I think knowing that it's on the road, you don't really give too much respect mm. to. Um, and so I knew, I knew all about the course. I knew about the heat. Um, anybody that is signing up for bad water, uh, they are very well heat trained. Nobody shows up on race day and says, Oh my gosh, I didn't know it was gonna be that hot. Like, so it wasn't a matter of, of the heat, um, in 2018, what ended up happening was just getting the nutrition side wrong. It was the hottest in the history um, of that wow. race, the temperatures got up to 127 Fahrenheit in our wave. So I again started in the elite wave, which is 11 PM and it was 111 degrees at 11 o'clock at night. And, um, I knew pretty much what I, the time that I had wanted to get to the first time zone, 17 and a half. And I think that, you know, the excitement of the race, that, that confidence that I had in myself, um, I, I was so fit you know, I had an amazing crew. Um, I knew I was like, there's, there's no reason why I shouldn't just push myself from the start line. So I wasn't patient in the beginning. And then, um, I was not taking in enough electrolytes right away. And by the time I got to, I don't even think I was even 30 miles in, I just had full seizing adductors. So it's that, that muscle in your inner thighs it, it's a muscle that never turns off. So it wasn't like I could change my running mm -hmm. gait like you can with like your IT bands or like your calves. Um, it just kind of seized from that point on until the finish. And that's just how I had to run. So I ran very, very slow. 
Um, I'd say by the time I got to mile 42, when you can pick, pick up a pacer, I was just really upset. I was in a bad place mentally. Um, I definitely, I was in shock that I, that I was moving so slowly at, at how I was feeling. And then from there, my nutrition started spiraling because then the sun came out and, um, I wasn't then just like eating well, I ended up losing like 10 pounds within the first 15 miles. I was barfing my brains out. And I just learned, I think, you know, having pushed through that, I don't, my crew was so good about just like, yeah, Sally, like you, you can still move, like you're still fine. Like you're moving slow and yeah, it hurts, but find a way. And, um, and that's kind of always been my motto in life just as a whole is like, you can always find a way. Um, there's always a way to work around this. And so it wasn't anything, I, I, I can't say it was a performance that I was proud of, but I was very, very grateful to my crew. And I was so grateful just to get to the finish line because the most, I mean, there's a lot of people that had dropped out. Um, I had many times wanted to, but looking at my crew and what they sacrificed for me, I was like, man, I got to get to the finish line. I need to learn what it is that I did wrong. So, you know, I covered the 135 miles and it was just a one big, massive, humbling lesson. You know, I was physically trained, but there were so many other things that I didn't take into account. I didn't pay attention to. And, um, you know, it ultimately, you know, really ruined, ruined that performance, that expectation that I had on myself. I mean, I feel like based on all of that, even though you won this year, was the mm-hmm. 2018 experience sounds like it was actually like way more torture. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I think because it was so long, um, it was such long, slow. And to have, I really felt like too, man, if if I could have had enough, I wish there was another muscle on the body that was seizing up. I wish it wasn't my adductors. It just it kind of felt like, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where your, your knee kind of collapses. Mm. Like you take a step, but you can't, you doesn't really feel like you're secure in your step. Like, like I had a lot of like involuntary bending, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, I just never felt, um, good, but yeah, it was, uh, I think by the time I got to like the second half, I no, not even the second half, probably like around 80 ish miles. I did start eating a little bit better. So at least my stomach was like in a better place. Um, my intestines were, were in a much better place. Um, yeah, it was really just the, the electrolyte issue and, um, and, and the muscles just moving so slow. And that's hard too, when you know, like you're fit, you know what you're capable of and the pace, um, that really got to me mentally. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So tell us about what changes you made for this year. So this year I just spent, um, way more time on the course. That's just my style Mm -hmm. of training. I don't, I don't think, and especially for anyone listening that is hoping to do this race, which I think is a lot more people than ever. I can't believe how many people have messaged me and said they want to do this race now, which makes my heart so happy. It's, it's, it is an incredible race, but um, I, my style of racing, I'm, I am a visual, I, I like to visualize things. I like to, you know, I did this, my years racing Western States. Um, I was on the course all the time and, um, you know, I, you start to learn just, you know, where certain rocks are and branches and trees and the way that, you know, a road curves or a trail curves or, um, it, I just made the desert my home and, that was really powerful for me because it just allowed me to, 
to uh, reflect on my 2018 race. I remembered, you know, I'd visit parts and remember how bad I was hurting. I, I remembered how slow I moved and I would go out and train and I would tell myself, I'm going to move mm-hmm. fast here. Like this is right now, this is, we're going to practice to be moving at this pace. This is what we're going to do. And I would just always have that in my mind and training. I was always envisioning um, the race. I spent a lot of time going up and down the Mount Whitney portal road, which is how you finish. So the, the final climb is a 5,000 foot climb up to the, the beginning of the Mount Whitney trail. Um, the original race was 146 miles and you used to be able, it used to finish at the top, but now with permitting, unfortunately, unless you, you're one of the 15% of people that got a permit, uh, on that particular day, then, then you, you know, you, you can't, continue on. So everyone finishes, um, at the portal, but I spent, um, hundreds of miles in my training, just running up and down that, that portal road. Um, I think as a mountain runner too, that that's like where my heart was. It Mm. was very encouraging to, I'd run out of death Valley and run, run up that. Um, and then I just changed my, my electrolyte and nutrition approach. Um, you know, I practiced different things. I kept journals, uh, I did a lot of research, you know, I, I, I think in, in rate in races with extreme weather. So whether it's extreme cold or extreme hot, um, your gut and your body is doing everything it, it can to protect itself, to protect its vital organs. And so, and everyone is different. Um, so what I would do is I would test my body and how much it could consume at different temperatures. So I would run like in 99 degree heat and I would see what, pace I could keep while, and, and then how much I was able to eat. Um, I kind of dialed in what kind of a drinker I was. So athletes, normally there, there's heavy drinkers, there's light drinkers, there's people that need tons, you know, a lot more fluid than others. Um, I had to figure out how much more electrolytes that I needed. Um, and then I would go and do all that again in 105 heat and then 110, 115, 120, 125, like, Um, and it was all different. And so one of the conversations I had with my crew is like, you have to tell me the temperature because, um, I can then do the calculations Mm. in my mind and I'll know exactly what I need. And, um, that'll also help me stay focused on the race. So when I descended into the hardest part of this race, remember them yelling out to me, it's 118 Sally. And so I knew, you know, I knew right away, okay, I need this and this and this. And, and I told my pacer, Dave, I was like, we need to move. Like I can move pretty quick at, at this temperature. We're on a flat, like, you know, we have to push to the next timing station. I was, I, at that time I was in first place. I didn't know it. I thought I was chasing the first place girl. And so I was so adamant, um, you know, about it at that time, but nutrition and electrolyte and fluid was like the biggest change that I had made. And I think what helped me kind of move a little bit better, but there was a lot of trial and error in that too. I mean, I went out to the desert one of the times with my husband and I was like, you know, I want to see how much like real food I can eat. And, um, you know, I was trying like whole foods and just different things. And, um, I remember just being so sick and just like this one particular, just dry heaving. He's following me in the car and I'm just dry heaving. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, like, okay, so we're not going to do that. And, but it just so, it's so different when, um, at different temperatures. And so like, normally I could eat that if it was like 75 or if I was in the mountains and I was under a tree, but, um, you know, the things that heat does to your system and the way it pulls blood away from your stomach and kind of 
keeps you from digesting things well um, is something that I really had to take seriously. I mean, it is wild. And I saw that in your post, Mm -hmm. you said that mile 85 was one of your darkest miles, like sections. Um, And and I even could tell in the videos, like I, you could like, you're, you looked like you were in a different world, like truly like is Sally in there. So Talk to us about like, you knew those things were going to happen. You prepared for that. Like, talk to us about how you walked yourself through those moments. Um, David Daly and Colin Cooley, I've been training with them for over a decade and they've paced and crewed me for almost just as long. So they know me really well. Uh, We've had so many conversations over the years and my, I've always said to them, don't coddle Mm. me. (laughs) I I don't like, like surfacey encouragement either. Like there's so many things that it's like, they, and they trained with me a lot and just in our communication, they know how much, um, my, my goals mean to me and, and realizing too, I think for anyone listening, you know, when you go and run a race and it's like, you're, you're seeing that finish line and you're trying to push and you're like in a world of pain. So it's like, you're trying to get that 5k PR, like that half marathon, you're trying to qualify for Boston or just like your first time ever running a, a, a long distance event. And it mm-hmm. hurts. Like, everything hurts and everything in your body and mind is saying, stop. Like you actually don't have to do this. We can make it easier if you slow down by a minute per mile, you know, all these things that we then start to tell ourselves that it's okay. Like just enjoy it, you know, but then you, you finish, you cross that finish line and your brain immediately says, yeah, but Mm -hmm. what if like all the pain, all the discomfort that you were feeling, I, so often we forget that it ends and it's like that in it with everything, like every discomfort and pain and challenge in life that it will come to an end. And so I've always told my crew, listen, I, I don't care how low or dark I am. Like, don't buy into whatever it is I'm telling you. And I hit points too in endurance events, um, in ultras. Um, I do Mm -hmm. get dizzy. I do have a little bit of some breathing issues. And so, um, sometimes my, we call it delirious Sally. I'm just kind of dizzy. I'm a little bit, I'll say stuff that I don't mean. And I'm just like out of it. I feel like it's like I'm oxygen depleted or something. But, um, I think at this point and my husband, my husband even told me too, he's like, yeah, like you wanted to lay in the van so bad. Like you just kept asking. And then I like started crying. Like, um, but at this point, mile 85, you know, th- there's no shade on the whole course. So it doesn't matter how well heat trained you are. Your body is so tired of being exposed to extreme heat. Um, and you know, one of the things that I had done, uh, throughout my training was I, I just studied everything I could on heat training. I, I li- sat on YouTube and I listened to doctors talk about it, professors talk about it. I took notes, like I just sucked up everything I could. But what I realized is that in so many of the studies of endurance athletes in heat, like it was like 60 minutes, like case studies Mm. or 90 minutes. And it was like at 90 degree heat or 95. And I'm like, 30 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I, I, I'm the science experiment. Like this is it. Like this is, this is actually the exciting part in all of this is like, I actually get to prove what no doctor or scientist has been able to do a case study on. Like you're saying that this is how athletes perform and this is what they need, but that's like on a bike in a room at 95 Mm -hmm. degrees. Like 
what about a human being that is totally exposed in a desert in the middle of nowhere in extreme heat? What are they actually capable of doing? And so I think I really started to fall in love with the race on, on that side of it. But I also knew very well that there was going to be this time where I was going to, I was going to hit a low point and it's just part of being human. You know, there's only so much that we can take. And I think as a professional athlete, my reason for documenting this too, is because I, I understand why, um, Athletes don't like to share their training. They don't like to talk about all the nitty gritty. You don't see the ins and outs. They aren't always honest. They, you know, a lot of times it's saving face. It's putting on a smile. It's saying what reporters, you know, want to hear what their audience wants to hear. They want to keep that certain persona of I'm so strong and I'm so hard and I, you know, I'm this superhuman, but it's like, at the end of the day, you're not like, we're all human and, um, we all have those points, but I also believe that even when we hit that breaking point in our mind, we're capable of so much more beyond that. And, you know, I told, um, Eddie, I go, you're going to see me like her. And this is why you've mm, never been on my crew. Mm -hmm. Cause I get emotional when I see mm -hmm. you. And, um, and so at that point I knew it was almost like probably not good that he was there, but thankfully, Colin and Dave and Colin is a very strong, you know, personality. He know he's been with me for so long in my races that as I walk, I hugged Eddie and I was like crying and I'm walking towards the van and he just looks at me. He's like, you're not laying down. You can sit right there. I'm going to put ice on you. And then you need to get back out on the line. And like, Eddie didn't say anything. And I was like, so mad. Like, I <laughs> like why, why didn't you so rescue angry. me? Yeah. Like I just, I was just mad at everyone. Yeah. And, um, and I just, I didn't have any energy. I wasn't eating well. I was tired. And, you know, it was just, it, it was just every part of just that breakdown. It was everything that, um, you know, that you don't want people to see, but is so true about ultra running. It's so true about every single athlete that's out there, whether you're back a pack or you're a pro. Um, we all have points where we start to question what we're doing and we're tired and we're exhausted and we just want it to stop and we want to break. And, and, um, so when I knew that, um, that Colin was like, you need to get back out there. I was like, I'm not gonna be able to lay down. So I literally just said, okay, I'm, I, I didn't want to listen to anyone anymore. I got back on, on the line and I didn't say anything. And I walked for a little bit and then, um, I looked up and we still had like three miles of climbing and it was really like my anger and annoyance that I just started mm. running again. I was like, well, I have to get up this stupid <laughs> climb anyway. So it was just. But I think if there's passion, whether it's an anger or excitement, that's a really good sign. And so um, I somehow was able to just kind of come out of it. But I think a lot of that had to do with just, you know, having raced for so many years and having so many regrets at, at the finish line, knowing like, man, if I just would have at least moved, I would have understood that. I, I could get out of that spot that I wasn't going to stay there forever. Like if I would have kept moving forward, it would. And, you know, and then three miles later, that's when I found out I was in first place. So, um, I kind of had to come to like that renewing and get, get a little bit of butt kicking, uh, at that point in the race and just say, you got to keep, got to keep moving. Oh my gosh. I, I can <laughs> on a very small level relate to the, like falling <laughs> apart when your husband's there, just because it's like, that's who <laughs> yeah. you can be like your strongest and your weakest self to, right? Yeah. Like they, they know oh, it all. Yes. Yeah. 
that that is very very true and uh and we're very close so i i oh i kind of always feared that like in the back uh-huh. of my head like oh my gosh how am i gonna be but he played an integral part uh you know the in, the entire race because my intestines weren't great and he was the one that had to uh endure all of that <laughs> oh yes oh yes i imagine the other two guys being like hey you got to back off let her let her keep going let her keep going Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. I've been using Prevenex products for over a year now, and I cannot say enough about the quality of their ingredients, of their products. I use their multivitamin, their Joint Health Plus. My kids take their Supervites. That's the kids' multivitamin, and we also use their protein powder around here. Now, the Joint Health Plus is a supplement that I highly recommend to runners. It is a joint supplement that offers comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief. I've had so many people reach out and say they've been using it. They were skeptical, but they can't believe the results. They work really well. And the thing is, is if you want longevity in this sport, and this is something that can help you do that, why not give it a shot? It supports joint comfort and flexibility. And then lastly here, if you want to try a good protein powder, this is vegan. It has all kinds of vitamins and minerals in it delicious flavor. I prefer the vanilla, but they also have chocolate. Great for smoothies. Also, if I'm going on a long run, I just shake it up with some water, put it in a cooler, and I can hit that as soon as I finish my run. And it's such a good replenishment. You guys can check out Prevenex, all they have to offer. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that will get you 15% off your order. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Tell us like about the final miles where like the end actually was in sight or does it not actually feel like that until Mm -hmm. literally you see the tape? Yeah, you you never see the finish line until you're like 100 feet from it. Um, you know, and you have to climb a mountain to finish the, the race, which I think is so beautiful. And, you know, again, as a mountain runner, that is another thing that pulled me to this race. Um, you know, sometimes people are like, why would you do a road race? Like, this is like really the only road ultra I've, I've ever done. And I don't road race. That's not in my background. I've never raced a 5k or 10k or half or, mar- you know, I love the mountains. I love the trails. And so just knowing that you get through this desert and you have to climb a mountain to finish. Um, I was very, very happy, uh, getting to Lone Pine, by the time I got to Lone Pine, though, I had had um, for a while, for probably like four or five hours, uh, uh, one of my Achilles. I actually, I really thought I injured it. And I don't know how. I, I knew it was like, it started as like a stress reaction where it was just stressed. And I've never had anything with my Achilles. I thought maybe it's because I changed shoes in the middle of the race. I started with um, kind of an, uh, actually a more aggressive shoe for the first 30 miles, which I, I kind of went back and forth with maybe that's why my Achilles ended up hurting later in the race. Cause I stressed it out in the beginning. And so when we got into Lone Pine, I, I was limping and I, I was a little sad at that point because I had spent hundreds of miles running up and down that mountain. Um, I knew how to get up the mountain very fast. I would do certain workouts where I'd you know, I'd run long, hard miles and then I'd go run hard up the mountain. So it was all in preparation to run up the mountain on 
tired, exhausted legs. That's how I envisioned it. That's how I trained for it. And really getting up that mountain um, was one of the slowest <laughs> climbs of my life because I was in a lot of pain. But I, I knew I was very well ahead of, of the second place um, female. And so I probably did relax just a little bit on some parts cause I was in so much pain and I thought, man, if this is an injury, I, I have to now like be careful yeah. too. I have to be careful to not like, like also now do something really bad to myself. So it was a struggle cause I was racing and I was constantly asking my crew, like, let me know if there's anyone behind me. And they're like, seriously, Sally, like there's no one, <laughs> there hasn't been anyone behind you for hours. And I was like, no, cause two times before in my career, I have been caught Western States. My first time I was caught a mile behind a mile before oh. the finish line. I was in ninth. I was ninth place female. And then I, that's how I got into 10th. I was ninth for so long. Um, and then when I, Cuyamaca 100 K someone caught me four miles before the finish line, but I ended up like racing my heart out and, and, um, and beating her. But I've had those experiences. And so I, every now and then, like when I get close to a finish line, I just like freak out. I'm just like, someone's going to come out of the bush, <laughs> like someone I didn't see this whole time. And, and so they, that actually kind of became a joke with my crew. Um, but yeah, the finish was beautiful. It was, you know, it was still dark. The sun had just started to peak right as we got to the finish line. But I think what I cherished the most about it was just the moments I got with all of my crew. Like Sarah and I, um, she, man, she paced me for like, an hour, like the first hour up the mountain. And we just had like the most incredible conversation. She is such an amazing, beautiful soul. And I was so grateful to have her out there. And, and I just felt like we were able to like really, um, engrave these memories of climbing up Mount Whitney and at night as, as the champion of Badwater and, but also being able to like kind of freeze mm. time and, and then Colin hopped in and, um, Colin and I have like a lot of music taste in, in common. We've over the year, he's like a big brother to me. Like we're, he's just like such a good, um, person I, I tend to turn to like for, you know, when I'm making decisions and, um, when I need help with, you know, like business stuff, like he's just like that big bro that's going to, you know, give you that advice. And, um, but we also have a lot of common in music and he turned on this song. We both like started singing it and, um, it was just little moments like that, like that I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, I, I wanted to be running hard up that mountain, but I also got like these really, really sweet moments. And then Eddie hopped out of the, out of the car. And, you know, I, I had been, I, I pretty much, I dry heaved quite a bit those last few hours, which was so sad for my crew to have to watch. It felt so bad because it's so gross being around someone dry heaving the whole time. <laughs> but, um, but Eddie hopped out right as like the sun was, was coming up and I was not feeling very good. And, um, I think that's the picture he actually posted. I'm like kind of keeled over on hands and knees and it's like half mile to the finish line. And just to experience that with him and, um, you know, after all that he's sacrificed and, and given to me and, and has always been just like that quiet, strong support for me, it was really incredible to have him up there. And literally a hundred meters before we crossed the finish line, my father-in-law drove up with my mm. kids 
Um, I couldn't believe it. So they hopped out of the car and, you know, 30 seconds later we went running through the finish line. So for my kids to see that was, was very, very special. And, um, yeah, that climb was special. It was, it was, uh, it was Mm -hmm. painful. (laughs) Did you know your kids were going to be there? Yeah, they had come out, um, during the day, you know, I had told them, you know, you, you can't have spectators till Lone Pine. And they drove by, like, they like drove by on the course. Let's see, like right before we got to Lone Pine. So I knew they were there. Um, like their car Mm -hmm. like went by and they kind of like waved out, but yeah, you can't have, like, you can't have people like just out there randomly in Death Valley, but we had arranged for them to come out and they had, they were there at my 2018 race. And so it was like, I really, really wanted them there for that. So I was really grateful that, yeah, they could be there at the finish line. Are there pacing rules for Badwater? Yeah. So the first 42 miles, uh, no pacers unless you're 62, 62 years or older. Um, you, you can have one, uh, at mile three. So the first 42 miles, um, the way it goes like with the crew and again, because of the extreme weather, obviously they don't have aid stations. There's not a volunteer that's going to sit out there for eight yeah. hours in 120 degree. <laughs> so your car is basically traveling crew and, um, you know, they can, that there's all of these like parking rules and how you crew and how you park and how you pass your runner and what you have to wear and, uh, how you cross the street, where you stand when your runner's coming up. So there's, yes, there's lots of rules, which I won't bore you <laughs> with. That's why they're all wearing those yellow class three, um, shirts, the, the pacers. Um, so they, they can't ever be in front of you. So they're not really like pace. I, I wouldn't say they're actually really pacing. Yeah. You. Um, in 2018, they stayed with me quite a bit, but this year I told them, I was like, listen, we're going to use our pacers in such a way that it's like, we're, we're communicating, we're getting supplies, keeping me cool. And then you're like, you're letting me run. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were like, even at times when we were allowed to have pacers, when I was like, you guys, I, I need to run by myself. Like, don't like leave me alone or don't talk to me. And a lot of those were like when I was really, really in a bad place. Um, or if I was hurting a lot, sometimes like having so many people there that are supporting you could almost be like a devil's advocate because then you get weak thinking like, well, take care of me and make me feel better and make this go away. And like, let me sit in the van. And so there was a few times where I was just like, dude, you guys just need to like, go like, leave Mm -hmm. me alone and just let me kind of work through this. So pacers are, um, you know, in, in some ways they, they keep you safe. I know many people watching this race, I got so many messages where people were genuinely concerned for my life. Uh, I think that is one of the misconceptions too, or people are just like, dude, like, I just don't want you dying out there. If it gets too hot, they're going to cancel it. Right. And so I think it's important for people to know, like, that is why you have a crew there. Cause they're constantly monitoring you and making sure that like, okay, is she going to get, is that just heat exhaustion? Or is she about to go and is she about to have heat stroke? Like, okay, we need to check her temperature. Okay. We need to get her on the scale or we need to like, okay, feel her skin. Like what is her, okay, Sally, talk to it. You know, there's things that, that, um, all the crew is doing just to make sure that, that their runner is healthy. Um, but every runner that is out there is, is obviously very well trained and and equipped for it. You don't just like sign up for it. So I feel like the crew 
they're just constantly doing check-ins with you and you're consuming so much more. So I just feel like, I just felt like the crew is constantly bringing me water and they're constantly giving me electrolytes that that was non stop like the entire time. So they can't lead you and pace you in a way that's like, all right, we're going to keep this pace. I'm going to run in front and you're going to drop behind me. Um, that's not, that's not allowed. And they can't even, they can come up next to you for like a few seconds to like give you stuff and kind of like check in, but then they need to drop back behind you. So, Oh my gosh. And who wants to, who wants to run in that if they're not actually in the race? Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I truly can't fathom that at all. So I'm, I'm curious, do you feel, is this your biggest athletic accomplishment or does it come close? Yeah, I, I, it's hard because I I feel like there's been, um, the diversity in ultra running is it's, it's vast. You know, you look at someone like Zach Bitter setting a world record, um, for a hundred miles on the track, you know, doing that in under 12 hours. I mean, that is incredible, but yet Zach can also run Western States. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, wait, that a completely different event. Mm -hmm. Like that's like a, a night and day thing. And I I think that our sport is filled with that, with so many um, different types of ultra runners and events and terrains and different challenges. And so I think with, when it comes to bad water, um, my approach to it, you know, and even just the appeal is realizing that, wow, I've, I actually have been dreaming about this for Mm -hmm. over a decade Mm -hmm. And there is always something so mysterious and compelling about it for me that I think that that did make it feel like such a big deal in my heart. And even as I trained for it, why it was so easy to focus on it, it just became such a natural um, commitment for me. Like I just, I, I fell in love with every part of it. So to be able to win it, I feel like is is one of my biggest accomplishments on many levels. It's, uh, I think just mentally what it did for me, just as far as like, man, having these lifelong dreams, it's, it makes it so much sweeter, you know, when it's like, instead of me saying, Hey, I'm going to go out this weekend and see how fast I can run a five King. Then I get a personal best like, Oh, that's pretty cool. But like investing in something for years and years and years and years. And then finally realizing like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a bad water champion. Mm. I, I just, it's, I'm still trying to, um, I'm still trying to actually digest all that. So, you know, that phrase, it's like, don't let your highs be too high, your lows be too low. And it's like, <laughs> how do you process that? You know, cause like there is this, mm. even when someone runs their first marathon, there's this like huge amount of joy in mm. the accomplishment. But then yeah. after you're like, okay, now what? Like we, <laughs> we did it. And so I'm yeah. curious, like emotionally how you're handling that. Yeah. I mean, you remember, it's like when you're planning your wedding. Yes. <laughs> it's like, then you go on your honeymoon and you're like, why am I sad? Yes. <laughs> it's it's like, all over. All the people is- are gone. Yes. Yeah. Everyone's gone. Like everything I was focusing on or just even that idea of like when I know for me, when I was a little girl, I couldn't wait for my wedding day. Like I just was like, I'd envision it all the time, what that would be like. And then, yeah, it, it comes and it goes. So I think it is very common and this is any athlete uh, across all sports, like when you get to that championship competition or that race or, you know, that pinnacle in, um, in your training year, it, it is hard when it, when it's over because, um, 
you realize that that intensity and that focus is, it now has to go somewhere else. It has to be put into something else. And, and I do, I've always loved that idea of looking at races as, you know, this is, even though as bad war is a big deal, I still look at it as like, this is just one race of many. And it's such a kind of a cool way to frame like really just like life, right? Like there's, there's hundreds of, of races, but I look at them as checkpoints. They're checkpoints that kind of allow you to check in on yourself and say, how are you growing? What did you learn? Like, did you get better? Mm. Uh, where did you fail? And I think that even for people, you know, people that did bad water and didn't make it to the finish line, I have so much respect for every single person that got to that start. They're amazing, incredible athletes just to be on that start line, but not finishing doesn't take away from the value of who you are as a person. It doesn't take away from, you know, that commitment and that focus that you had put in the way that you had dreamed, what it does do. It's, it, it does the same thing as it does for the person who crossed the finish line. It, it allows you to grow. And I think that for me, you know, crossing bad water, it, 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 it was kind of like a childlike feeling where it's like, Oh, but, but what if I, could then do this. If I could do that feeling that horrific, if I won bad water with all those challenges, wow, just how awesome would it be if I felt great and I ran bad water and, or how awesome it would be if I tried to run a little bit faster, if I tried to do this or, Oh, what is the course record? Or I can go for that or even just plan a new dream. Mm. Uh, you know, just seeing what the, the body is capable of. So, you know, for, for having competed for so for so many years, and I was a competitive athlete from the time I was in in high school to you know now, um, I've hit so many of those times where you just kind of like you miss the intensity and that focus. But um, I think I've learned over the years too that it's so important to understand that even if you have the best race of your life, that you still have to approach it the same way as if you had the worst race of your life that you're not done yet, that there's still more. And so that's kind of where I am right now. Like I'm trying to digest the win and just like, I'm so grateful that I, you know, I don't think I deserve to win. I don't ever think I deserve anything. I, I see it as like such a gift. I'm so grateful. It's a dream come true. But I also believe that, wow, there, there, there's still more to be done. Yeah. Are you so thankful to be done though? <laughs> <laughs> With that race. <laughs> oh man, right? Yeah, when you're at like oh. mile ninety one and I'm like puking up water because I couldn't uh. even keep water out down anymore. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, Sally, I am just like I'm so inspired by you. I know so many people are you you have a gift with your athletic ability, your words that on paper, your words mm -hmm. that are spoken and um I'm so grateful to know you and that you know, like I mm. know that somebody needed to hear at least two or three things you've said on this podcast today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you choosing me to be on here. And of course, it's always good just to connect with you. I say this at the end of every podcast and you've answered it before, but I know that you're always like, you always have a new thing you're thinking about and dreaming about. So what is the last message you want to leave with our audience today? That you are so much more capable of what you believe and I really think that that is the beauty in your one unique life is that no one else can live it for you. And every single inch of who you are is unique to you. And there's never going to be anyone else like you again. 
And so come and show us what your story is. Go discover what you're capable of. Keep pushing, keep trying, and understand that, yes, there is lows and lows uh, in all of our, our journey. But I'll tell you, you keep moving forward. It's so worth it. When you get to that top of the mountain and you look back at all you've done, it is so worth it. So I just want to encourage everyone listening. I hope that you keep going in all you do. You're never too old to dream a new dream. You're never too young to dream. Um, Yeah, big love to all of you. Keep your heart up. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Sally, for coming on. Love having you on. Love talking to you. Such a gift. You guys can find Sally on Instagram. She's yellow runner over there. You can find me personally on Instagram. I am lindsayhines626. You can learn more about Sandy Boy Productions at sandyboyproductions.com. And we also have a Sandy Boy Instagram as well. We'd love to have you visit us over there, Sandy Boy Productions. Thank you to the sponsors of this episode for making this possible. Lily Trotter's Compression Socks, Athletic Brewing Company, and Prevenex, all three amazing companies. We have the codes to get you discounts in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. And if you wanted to be added to our newsletter so that you can get those show notes delivered to your inbox every week, just email Emma at sandyboyproductions.com and we will get you added. All right, friends. Thanks for being here. Have a great rest of your Friday, a wonderful weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.